today on Laura Lynn and Friends. Although I felt um, I do have an opinion on the vaccination, I just really wanted to walk this out um, more so looking for freedom of choice than to um, go after proving my opinion. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the beginning of the last days. My name is Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson. And you know, I love to start the show by honoring my father, my father who taught me that uh, it's better to be a righteous person with nothing than someone who is a deceiver and has everything because sooner or later, everybody has a judgment day. And uh, I open up today to see what he had to say because we're going to be talking about judgment today and we're going to be talking about what is right and uh, what, what is right that a nation is allowed to do to you um, and when should you fight back and stand up for a just cause. So I open up to Ecclesiastes 3 and my dad's got all kinds of notes. He has notes and, and you know, underlines on almost every page of his Bible. He was such a, a very wonderful man. I miss him so much. And I look down and Ecclesiastes 3 says this in verse 7. Now you might know that, um, you know, to everything there is a season, a time of purpose, um, under a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die. You know that famous song, right? You can hear it in your mind as you read these, these scripture verses from Ecclesiastes that actually have found their way into culture. But this is a different one. In verse 7, it says, a time to rend and a time to sow, as in sowing. So to pull together, right? A time to rend, rip apart, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. And right now, has there ever been a more epic time than at this hour when we must speak about some of the things that have happened to, to many people, these injustices that have taken place uh, across the world, in fact. So we have a couple of incredible guests, and I want to bring them on right away. Um, I'd like to bring on Cindy Friesen, and uh, she is, um, well, Freedom to Work. I, I don't know if that's an organization. We'll find out about that. But as well, Stefan Flavaris, and he's her lawyer, and that is quite, Flavaris, okay, <laughs> and that is quite a name, Stefan, and uh, so thanks to both of you for being here. Cindy, you have you have the story um, behind sort of this initiative that's happening. It's a class action lawsuit from what I understand. So could you tell us what happened to you and what you are joining with others in battling against an injustice in Canada? Sure. So first of all, it would be a potential class action. It's not been um, um, certified yet, so it would be a potential class action. Um, back in October of 2021, I was an admin assistant for the school division here in Manitoba, Southeast Manitoba. And as the mandates came down, of course, it happened everywhere that um, we were put into a position of um, kind of just deciding and choosing. There was a number of us that felt, um, well, we just didn't feel that that was something we wanted to do. And so um, first time we got together with about seven people uh, connecting um, just trying to figure it out what we would want, what we'd, how we're going to handle this. And then um, that was maybe in August because we kind of knew it was coming. Of course, the school division only, I mean, you only kind of go back to school at the end of August. Um, and then as we began working that fall, we realized this was definitely going to be something that they were going to um, definitely insist upon. And so um, we thought we'd get together. First, The first time we got together, there was maybe seven of us that felt a little apprehensive about this whole thing. And then um, 
the next time, I think it was probably in September of 2021, um, people were again very anxious about the whole thing and not wanting to feel like they had to go ahead and do this or else they were going to lose their job. So um, I suggested that we get together again and just sort of talk and figure out how we were going to handle this thing. And um, <clears throat> so, like I said, the first time was there was about seven people that I had over in my home. And um, then as it uh, that fall, it kind of rumors went around that there was more people that were, you know, were more concerned. And uh, so when they heard that we were getting together, then uh, they all decided to come the next time. So the next time I ended up having about 70 people in my home, which I didn't wouldn't have known that there was that many people but yeah there was wow. a number of people in the area so yeah so from there we just um i guess we obviously all made our decisions mm -hmm. amazing um i'm not surprised because i think that there's a much greater number of people than you know are willing to talk about it and not everyone's willing to actually be so courageous as to you know to speak of it and then to take action so what gave you that because a lot of people First of all, either they decided, oh, it's just too big of a fight. I'm just going to do it. Or they, you know, made excuses and quietly went away. What caused you to, to really say, I'm going to, I think this is wrong and I'm going to take, take the court or the, you know, the education system to, to justice, to court on it? Um, you know, there's something really freeing about living congruent within yourself and who you are and um, not being swayed one way or another. And I guess that's how I felt that, um, you know, I, on one hand, I don't feel like you can boil this down to just, um, you know, believers taking a stand or not believers, because there are both on in this. Um, and in essence, although I felt um, I do have an opinion on the vaccination, I just really wanted to walk this out um, more so looking for freedom of choice than to um, go after proving my opinion. And so right. that's really what we're um, here with. It's, it's not a, an anti-vax uh, position that we want to go with. We, we want to kind of walk the lines. And, and, you know, there's so much division anyway. I mean, we, we all know families have kind of turned against each other. We've, we've had so much division. And I don't think that's something we need to fan. So I'm, uh, everybody's entitled to their opinions, but I think they're also entitled to their choice. And, and that seems to have been lost. Um, I thought it was my body, my choice, and all that whole saying seemed to have gone completely out the window uh, in, in this last three years. Apparently, it's, it's not really your body, your choice. Um, apparently, the government, under certain circumstances, doesn't necessarily see that. And um, it does make sense to me that if you decide that you don't want a medical, um, you know, something that is um, any sort of medicine or vaccine or shot that you don't want put into your body, that we do actually, I believe, have some sort of legal entitlement to that decision to be able to be made. But that did get wiped away. Were you faced with either you take this shot or you would lose your job? Was that the decision or choice that you were looking at? Yeah, it was spelled out that that was the discipline that we would be given. And um, I believe they uh, they noted, they, they called it um, grossly insubordinate. 
and um, I was okay with that. I'm, I guess I felt I'm okay to be insubordinate and in something that I didn't feel was me and that I wanted to take. So I, I absolutely agree. Grossly insubordinate. Now, you know, I'm glad that you're able to take that title, but logically speaking, and, and I'd like to ask Stefan about this, but how can any citizen of a country be required to take something that is very controversial and has not lived up to what it was supposed to do. It doesn't prevent you from spreading COVID. That's an absolute fact. I don't get kicked off of any platform for saying that. And in fact, it has lowered immunity. Um, so, so there's some real controversial things. Uh, we're also seeing some harms that like a, something like the National Citizens Inquiry has done a very deep dive into some of the people that have felt harms from the, this. But Stefan, is it not okay in Canada to say, I don't want to take a certain drug, vaccine, shot? Isn't that okay for a Canadian to tell a government that? Uh, absolutely. And, and, and that, that sort of really served as the impetus to, to the, the, the drafting of the actual statement of claim itself. And, and so uh, the government can't you know, hold you down and inject you with whatever they want. If, even if they believe it's for your own good. But at the end of the day, what they did is sort of the inverse of that because they couldn't force uh, Canadian citizens or, or immigrants or, or permanent residents, whatever the case may be, they couldn't force them to take the medication, uh, the vaccine. What they did is they mandated to employment, uh, places of employment, whether it's a restaurant, a gas station, uh, you name it, they, they mandated that people who, do, who can't demonstrate vaccination status a positive status cannot enter the premises. And the resultant effect, of course, was that, for example, if I was a bartender at, at a local restaurant and I didn't want to get vaccinated, I was put on leave without pay or fired. Uh, if they if they let me work, then they would be fined heavily. And there were a number of businesses here in Manitoba. I think one of them, the Monstrosity Burger, is probably the most the most well known one here. I appreciate, but I don't have that in BC. But uh, they got fined. I think it was like pushing like sixty, seventy thousand dollars because they kept on you know, basically thumbing it to the government saying, we still are going to serve people food. Um, but that's how the government got around it because it'd be a gross violation of our charter rights. If they forced us to take medication, um, they still violated, it's our position, they still violated our charter rights. Uh, but it was by the way they did it by forcing businesses in essence to uh, block out individuals who are employed or even customers. Um, Stefan, recently, just uh, in this last week or so, there was a federal court, a judge that ruled that that the Emergencies Act was unconstitutional or uh, was, you know, you know, went against, um, you know, the government shouldn't have done it. Do you think that's helpful in the case that you're about to put forward? Yeah, yeah it's massively helpful. Yeah. And, and, and there, there actually there, there was a, that case was a was a big one in federal court. You're right. I believe that was out of Ottawa. Uh, that was in relation to the Extreme Measures Act being utilized, uh, in essence, as a weapon against the trucker, uh, 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 not blockade, the trucker convoy. Uh, convoy, pardon me, thank you. Uh, the trucker convoy. I mean, even out of British Columbia, there was an arbitration that came out with Purelater. Uh, the union, um, uh, the case is Teamsters Local Union Number 31 versus Purelater Canada, where they decided the same thing that it was against against their, their it, amongst other things, against their charter rights. Uh, so it, it really is, is um, 
encouraging because that's this is exactly what we're arguing. So you, you have a situation where there's different actions or different groups of people sort of all over the country. And now it's starting to come to, to light that everyone figured out, at least the people have, have put stuff in the court, have figured out the right way to go about this. Uh, um, again, not trying to pat myself on the back, but you know, if, if nothing else, certainly uh, very pleased and relieved that we do seem to be absolutely on the right path. But short answer, yes, that's a huge help uh, to our case and any other cases similar to it across the country. I, I, uh, I really agree with you. And I never saw this point so clearly as when I was talking to my own doctor, actually. My own doctor was pretty happy that we were not allowed to go to restaurants. And he told me, you should be getting your shot. And uh, I've had a long, a long, many, many years. I, I mean, it's almost been about 25 years of the same doctor. And, and so he was, he didn't mince any words. And, but then I said to him, I said, okay, so how many shots before you're on my side? And he says, well, I'm going to take three. I said, okay, so you're, you're willing to take government imposed three shots. What about when they tell you to take the fourth? What about when they tell you to take the fifth? And he said, then I'm on your side and I'll be out on the streets marching with you. And we had a little chuckle, but mm. It seems to me that if they can force you to do this and, and the pandemic came, we've had a lot of information now about what it was and what it wasn't. We have a lot of information now about the what the vaccines delivered and what they didn't deliver. And we don't even need to get into that. But, but doesn't it strike all common sense that if a government feels that they can impose even one measure sooner or later, they can then feel that they can impose many more measures. And that becomes the issue. No, I, I agree. I mean, there's, there certainly is uh, credence to the, the slippery slope argument, in essence, is what you're, what you're putting forward, is that, you know, that, that saying, give them an inch, they take a mile. Uh, that certainly is of concern in the sense that, <clears throat> excuse me, in the sense that uh, if the government can force this to happen and, and, and force businesses to lay off and not even lay off, put on leave without pay. What does that even mean? <laughs> that, that, that's a concept that doesn't really exist in employment law. But nonetheless, uh, if, if they can pull this off and, and, and force this on, on uh, citizens of the population, certainly they could, they could push this forward and, and, and take it even further. Absolutely. Right. So let me, let me ask you, Cindy, when this first happened, did you have that strength inside of you um, to begin to think, uh, I'm going, I'm going to fight this. Like, when did it get from, wow, I'm really uncomfortable with this to, I don't think this is just or right, and I'm actually going to fight it? You know, I, I don't think I contemplated taking it. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe personalities are different. Um, um, I am a believer. I would, for myself, I would have, I felt like I have that component of, you know, God giving me what it takes to stand in a situation like this. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know if it was a contemplation, but it's it's almost like you keep taking every step. Now, it's not that I didn't, um, so once I knew that I had so many people within the division, in one division, there was so many of us that didn't want to take it that I felt it was worth standing up and, and moving forward in that my first step was to take it to the um, school board here and address 
that even their way of, I mean, their, their whole language and everything was entirely coercive in that, you know, it was you must, or, you know, this is going to happen. And yeah, it was the leave without pay. And then it was the firing. And so I did, you know, I took it to the board, one of our, on the website, we have our directors on there. And so Jolene and I, um, we both went to the board, the school board and presented um, exactly that our matter. And, you know, I said to them there, this is incredibly poor leadership for one, that if you're being told, even if it is coming from the government, if you're being told to um, go this route and to fire people, I mean, that's just poor. I mean, if you as leadership don't stand up, you will then be ducking and it's going to fall on your staff and the staff will have to stand up. But um, I know that it was a board decision. I know there were people on the board that um, did not agree with the firing, but in the end, it has to be more votes, you know, one way than the other. And um, so unfortunately, there just weren't enough people that were thinking. Right. So um, has anything changed since you've begun this and, and you're working towards a, a class action? Um, has anything changed in the thought the thought process of those that have implemented the vaccines? Do you see a stepping back from that was a bit harsh and kind of crazy? I mean, once don't you feel that this should never be anyone else's decision. In fact, the Nuremberg trials pointed this out, that you can't force people mm -hmm. to take something, that the sovereignty of mankind, you know, we're sovereign beings, not given that sovereignty or that freedom by any man, but rather by God in Canada, that is written into our Constitution of Charter of Rights and Freedoms, um, and the Constitution as well, but... Isn't, isn't it completely, it should be logical that you can't make people in order to keep a job, take a, a shot? You know, people, yes, I'm a bit sympathetic because there are people in circumstances that simply did, they didn't want to take it, but they, they are in such a situation that they had to, they had to have their jobs. Some people have, you know, if you're working as an EA in a school, you might be the second uh, income for your family, but um, other, you know, single parents or whatever, they are their only income and um, they they have to work. Um, as far as whether or not people are coming around and maybe second guessing their choices, I think there are people that are sorry that they've taken it. Um, I don't know if, I guess I want to come at it in that I want to into agreement. So if you come to a place of realizing maybe I shouldn't have taken it, I think um, that's a hard place to come back from because we know there was such animosity. So in, in that sense, I would hope I could make it easy um, for people to come back and change their mind and change their opinion. Yes. Um, that's, and that's okay. But, you know, if you're still gung-ho about taking the vaccine, you're sure of your decision. I mean, in a sense... Sure. Your, your decision is your decision and you're really only affecting you. Right. Um, do you think that evidence that's come out, uh, the CDC, the WHO, uh, do you think the evidence that's come out showing that the vaccine never prevented transmission, 
and that in fact, the outcomes with respect to natural immunity being harmed, uh, these are things that are now openly able to be discussed on platforms that, you know, didn't want to add any vaccine hesitancy, but because they're true. Do you think that information like that will be helpful in your case? Or is it strictly just about whether you can be forced or not to take the shot? Is that a question for Stefan? Yes. You know what? It might be a better question for Stefan. Um, really, it, yeah. it would be yeah, more of a legal question. Yeah. And, and, and that, that is, in fact, part of our pleading as well, is that we, we've alleged that the legal concept is what's called misfeasance of public office, a breach of fiduciary duty and negligence. And at the end of the day, the provincial government of Manitoba, along with the other provinces, made decisions that were, pardon the pun because the, the, the Extreme Measures Act, but they made decisions that were extreme uh, without having full uh, and accurate medical or scientific knowledge of exactly what was going on or exactly how the vaccines work. I mean, and, you know, and that, that's that's uh, an expert will be will have to utilize an expert in that regard. But absolutely, I think the government was flying blind. Uh, governments, pardon me, were flying blind in, in a lot of this regard. I mean, you look at, at, at some of the behaviors, and I don't want to, you know, stand on a soapbox here, but some of the behaviors were just bizarre. I mean, like, so I could have two, three, four, five, six vaccination shots if they got that high. I'm not sure how high they went. Uh, and I can go to Sobeys, a grocery store, and do this. Meanwhile, you're not vaccinated, and you can handle the produce, put it down, walk up. There was no, like, what the heck is that supposed to be? Like, why, why, why didn't they have, like, one grocery store in each area of each town? That's for non-vaccinated people. And, you know, it, it just, but a lot of the behaviors they did were so uh, insane. I'm not trying to be over dramatic, but that's how I, I would characterize some of the behaviors. Absolutely, I'd characterize some of the behaviors like that. And the fact that uh, further that the vaccine came out and some people would say, well, no, the, 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 the disease morphed or became something different. It was a variant. Yeah, okay, well, how many vaccines have you seen that were mass produced and put out in six months? Uh, vaccines never fail. <laughs> they, you know, they, they, they didn't put the, they, they didn't have the time to put the requisite research and, and scientific methodology into creating the vaccine. Uh, they just rammed out stuff, which may or may not have caused the deaths of people, may have caused complications, may have caused illness, illnesses. But yeah, it, 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 in a nutshell, they were not uh, well versed uh, in in this whole um, virology scenario, and and I think they made some really poor decisions. Uh, again, flying blind without the full information they should have had before they moved. I wonder, um, earlier this week, we were interviewing um, a, a lawyer from the National Citizens Inquiry, and I'm wondering if you've had occasion to be able to see the commissioner's report, the commissioner's final report on basically the inquiry that they did from coast to coast across our nation, and or if you're even aware of that uh, event. I, I have not seen it. No, I have not seen that. I like it, <laughs> yeah, it might be helpful to you. Um, we've got it up here. It's it's the National Citizens Inquiry. And what they did was they had um, thousands of people quite literally testify from one province from the from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast. It cost them pretty much over a million dollars to do this. And they got uh, expert uh, testimony as well as the common person expressing what had happened to them. Uh, taking the shots and also uh, social ramifications for what was done to our nation. You know, as a lawyer, I'm sure that this is very important to our our rights in Canada. Unless COVID happened, I would have never thought that 
what took place could happen, where it was became a show me your paper society in order to eat at a restaurant, go to a library, attend your children's uh, basketball game. This became something we never saw we'd see. And that's very disconcerting because I'm sure you've heard, Stefan, uh, they're planning uh, uh, Mr. Tedros. Okay, Dr. Tedros from the WHO is saying, I'm sure we will see another pandemic. I just watched his video this morning. So this is this is actually precedent setting what you're doing uh, in in conjunction with Cindy at this time. Yeah, and I mean, and, and I agree that the, the whole notion that we will see another pandemic, I mean, uh, well, if the pandemic was anything more than a variant of the flu, and I'm not saying it is, I'm not a doctor, but I'm just saying that if, if, it, if it was, this is the first time we've seen anything like this since like the Spanish flu, I think it was. Uh, and how long ago was that? Uh, some, some, some doctor proclaiming there will indeed definitively be another pandemic. Uh, that's, that's just carelessness in my opinion. And that, that's the kind of language that feeds that kind of, as you said, show me your paper society. Um, yes. Yeah, it's, 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 it, it, is, it, is, it is a bit alarming, especially when, if you think about it, in a democratic society, unpopular speech is, is in fact probably the most important uh, speech. <laughs> so so it, it's integral to, to a democratic system, which, which of course we, we have, but may have had a hiccup during the pandemic, unfortunately. Do you, do you think that you would be able to bring in some of the expert testimony? These are like doctors. I don't know if you've heard of him, Dr. Peter McCullough. He's been testifying. Uh, he's, he's testifying for Dr. Charles Hoff here in British Columbia, who has a court uh, case that is coming up very soon. Same thing. This doctor spoke out because people had injuries in British Columbia, and he just wanted to let Dr. Bonnie Henry know out of a good concerned doctor that, hey, I'm a little surprised that we've given this small town in British Columbia these shots and we've got a dead guy and, and we've got a few people with neurological issues and cancers and some stuff's really going wrong here. And I just want to let you know, of course, Dr. Bonnie Henry did not respond at all. So and, and now they have gone after him because as he investigated, um, there's a lot that's come out about the harms. In fact, Dr. William Mackis has been tireless in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, and, and, you know, th this could be somebody that could inform the court about, he has extensive experience as a doctor, uh, you know, with what has really gone wrong here. How could anyone, a vaccine comes out and we know that it generally it takes four to six years to have a good vaccine. So, we have a pandemic within months, we've got a vaccine. We don't go through any of these regular rigorous trials to ensure that it's safe. And now we get every business. I mean, this is really a government problem, getting every business and institution to force their employees to take it. Nothing makes less sense than what just happened. No, I, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's again, and, and an expert, uh, uh, a scientific expert is something that's required for this case. We're a little ways off from that stage because the province has brought what's called a motion to strike. They're trying to delete the statement of claim before it gets started, uh, which is typical. I've been involved in class actions. I'm involved in one on, actually it's based in federal court in, in Vancouver uh, regarding inmate rights. Um, and the same thing happened there. We, we fought preliminary motions to strike for five years. Uh, so uh, we anticipate the same sort of thing uh, in, in this instance. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the government, again, um, 
forcing people or forcing businesses to shun people who don't have the vaccine while utilizing a vaccine that was simply was just, you know, sort of rolled out. Uh, you know, the longer we go on, the more the more scientific evidence there'll be that we can utilize for our expert report. So that does sort of put us in, 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 the, in the cat seat. But um, but it will take time. It'll take time. Yes. Well, I do. I do think that uh, you're going to have a lot of documentation because it's actually like an avalanche right now. Um, I'd love to play you a, a brief clip uh, from Edward Dowd. So this is a fellow who was an insurance uh, agent and he got notoriety because he started saying, why is everyone dying suddenly? Like we've got a little bit of a problem. So he's a statistics man. He's a numbers man. And he has something interesting to say about what's going on in Europe with kids. And, and it's just all informing us about maybe what, like, what have we done? Like what has really transpired here? And it's a very short clip. I'll show it to you. This is ages one through 14. Uh, in 2020, their excess deaths was minus 9%. In 2021, it was minus 7%. In 2022, it went up to 16%. And in 2023, it's 22%. So, so it's 22% above baseline. Above baseline. And what's interesting about this is the excess deaths of the UK children actually went down during 2020 and, and started to rise again in 2021. It's in my book. We, we, we show the rise started when the uh, magic juice started to be issued to children later in 21. What's interesting is... Yeah, yeah, you have to ask yourself, well, why did it go down in 2020? What's the what's the, the biggest cause of accidental death for children? Uh, it's accidental. It's accidental. It's 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 usually movement activities, you know, falling into a pool, drowning. Well, there were lockdowns. So excess deaths went down during lockdown for children because of less activity. But sure enough, we've reopened. There's no pandemic, but now in 2023, UK children one through fourteen appear to be mysteriously dying at an excess death rate of 22%. That's that's even higher than I thought. I don't know where I... I, I that's, the, that's the UK. It's, it's different in different countries. But okay. the UK has a problem. Yeah, and so these statistics across the world, uh, for instance, when Alberta started saying that excess deaths in 2022 were like the highest... <laughs> uh, excess deaths had... Um, they had no reason for the deaths. Like they... What was it called? Unexplained, Unexplained deaths. <laughs> so they, 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 there was no cause for these deaths. And, and this is now, you know, sort of happening. And there's no inquiry into these kind of things. But let's ask ourselves, you know, what changed in 2021 and 2022? We really don't know all the data on all of this. And yet, somehow, government and institutions in our nation felt that they could almost play God and force some of these, uh, you know, force in particular, a vaccine mandate, it just doesn't seem logical, and it certainly doesn't seem that it's legal. Yeah, that's, I mean, certainly that's, there's lots of things out there that are going to come out more and more. Um, but as far as our lawsuit goes, I mean, those, I mean, it's the type of thing we can't, we're not about to prove everything. Um, all the various things regarding the vaccine, um, but really just boiling it down to the fact that it needs to be freedom of choice. And, and, I, um, and, and I respect that. Um, that is that is really pivotal here, that in spite of you know what we're learning about it all, 
you know, in hindsight, which I think will be uh, helpful for your case, especially mm-hmm. as there, there is a lot of evidence of that, but absolutely like, you know, forcing you to have to do this or to lose your job. So I'm sorry, did you say that you, are you able to be at your job now? No, I was fired. So yeah. I found different employment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But people who were put on leave without pay, I mean, they, they did not receive EI, um, <clears throat> which I don't think it's even a legal, uh, Stefan can speak into it. I don't think it's legal to put, for an employer to put an employee on leave without pay. Hmm. Am I mistaken, Stefan? No, that's, that's correct. And that, that, that was something that uh, I guess the various businesses because uh, it happened across the board at the same time, so there may have been some sort of push from the government. But nonetheless, putting an employee on leave without pay doesn't exist. That that's called laying them off. And so the federal government, in a further effort to uh, the federal government, in a further effort to penalize individuals who would not uh, succumb to the mandates, for lack of a better phrase, refused EI. There have been cases though that that is being overturned, and it was it was it has it's been held. Um, to be a, a further violation of charter rights uh, for the refusal to give the EI. Uh, we didn't take that fight on because we just don't have the resources to <laughs> handle the country. <laughs> handling, handling the province of Manitoba is, is a big enough uh, piece of pie, as it were. But uh, yeah, that, that concept of putting this, someone came up with this, this, naming it this, as opposed to laying them off and letting them to get EI. And it's, it's, again, a further, in my opinion, again, this is the federal government, but it's a further abuse of power of them by not allowing people to lawfully get employment insurance. It's uh, mm-hmm. terrible. Yes, oh. it is. And Stefan, I really admire your courage because are you at all paying a personal price uh, for this is such a politically incorrect and I don't quite understand it. Somehow hmm. something happened wherein Canadian citizens are forced to take something or not. And everyone's like, it's like barely talk. You can barely talk about it in your family, let alone in your workplace. And if someone like yourself dares to stand up, because you've got to have some kind of moxie to be doing this, because many lawyers, you know, and everybody's just shying away from anything to do with this kind of a lawsuit. Um, are you are you finding that kickback at all against yourself? No, no, I'm not. I mean, but at the risk of having your viewers do a internet search, I mean, a cursory search of me online. I, I work for some very nefarious people uh, as, 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 a, as their lawyer. Uh, and I've, I've had a, a number of flack better phrase so controversial claims. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, 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 it's, I'm like a duck. I'm a duck, duck with water. Rolls right okay. off the path. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm Doesn't really matter. happy to hear that. And whenever I have people on the show, I, I have to be honest with you, um, even people like Cindy, you always know that they've ar- already fought some battles and that's why they're able to be strong enough to handle this because I am pretty I'm pretty surprised at the the assault against anyone who dares to go against this narrative. Uh, our own prime minister said that we'd better not be on trains or planes or sitting beside people in restaurants if you dare to be the unvaccinated. Now he's walking that back years, you know, a, a couple years later because he kind of has to because it's not looking good for a lot of statistics coming out worldwide showing we might have indeed, uh, you know, done something very heinous and evil to the populations. 
but they, they are walking back on it. But it does take strength to be able to fight it. And I really admire you, Cindy, for doing this. Do you think that you're going to have a number of people then that are willing to be as courageous as you are? Um, like in regards, like to do the fight, to do the court. Well, case. if this is a class action, I basically represent, um, it, like if I'll be representing any that have been in the same shoes I have been. Um, and so on that level, we would, we would hope that people would support, um, exactly this in terms of covering some of the costs and the fees that are involved with putting this, you know, getting this uh, lawsuit going. Um, Stefan can speak more into the, the costs of that um, as to how a class action works and, and who all can actually be a part of the class action. Uh, one thing I would say though, when you talk about the fight, I mean, in essence, I know what I, where I stand in this and I'm, I'm walking forward. I'm not going to enter into, um, what do they say? You don't have to attend every fight you're invited to. Um, there's lots of arguments, but there's no point. Um, if I believe something, I've taken it to court. I've, I've, you know, we've, we've asked Stefan to represent us. And so you, I've, I've asked the person that knows how to do it to, to move this into court. And, um, I don't know. I, I think then for me to be, um, I don't need to pick up every argument then with anybody that might disagree with it. Um, but yeah, Stefan, you can speak into how, how a class action works and. Sure. You're, you're basically, you're going to stand your ground in what you know to be, I think as a Canadian and, and actually Cindy, I just want to thank you because you're fighting for all of us, any of us who might have a job, uh, that I just talked to a nurse yesterday. She lost her job in Alberta. She's back to work now, but my friends in British Columbia who've lost their jobs as doctors or nurses are not back to work. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're fighting for people where this has dearly affected their livelihood and their lives, mm -hmm. uh, you know, permanently in a way. So yes, yeah. um, Stefan, uh, speak to that issue of how this works and do you have a give, send, go or something that you're raising funds for this? Well, the raising funds, I think Cindy can speak better to that. I'm not trying to pass the conch immediately. I apologize, yeah. but she can speak to that with 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 the, with the website. But how a class action works, in essence, is it, it's 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 filed on, on, in Manitoba. It's filed under the um, Class Proceedings Act, and uh, it starts off with Cindy is the only person involved. Uh, we have to bring a motion after what's called the close of pleadings. That's after the province files their statement of defense. That could very well be eight to twelve months from now because they're going to take this motion to strike all the way to the Court of Appeal, I'm sure, just as we would if we were unsuccessful and possibly the Supreme Court of Canada. So that, that takes a, 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 lot, a lot of time. But people, and this is something that people should be very aware of, you have to take very specific steps to not be part of a class action. You automatically are part of the class if you have the attributes that Cindy has. So in essence, in Manitoba, if you put on leave without pay or fired because of a refusal to um, get the vaccine or refusal to share your vaccination status, you're part of the class. Uh, it, it's, 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 and that's literally how it works. So there are thousands of people that are actually part of this action that don't know about it yet. Um, uh, figuring out who they are is a little more difficult in this situation because, uh, not, not to sideline it, but the other class action I mentioned had to deal with inmates and something that happened to them regarding parole eligibility. 
we know who all the inmates are because Correctional Services Canada has to give us the list of all the inmates they, that were refused parole. So just like the blink of an eye, we have uh, the actual names and last known contact information of this enormous class, uh, which is actually a, a federal a federal action across the country. In this instance, the class members who, who didn't get vaccinated or didn't disclose their vaccination status and were laid off or put on leave without pay, they are part of our class action, but us locate them, locating them may be difficult. Uh, that's why it's 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 important for us to appear on your show. And thank you very much for having us, by the way, if, if we didn't say that previously. But to, to yeah. get as much coverage, as, as much as much notoriety as possible so people become aware of us. That, that's, well, that's so we can look at them. A lot of people uh, are going to now be aware of this. And they're also going to be thankful because the same thing has happened to them, which goes to your point about this being a class action. Like uh, Cindy is is one of thousands and thousands of people that this happened to. My question to you, Stefan, would be if she is successful, if you can bring forward a successful um, judgment that this was against her rights and against the citizens of Canada's rights, that this happened to anyone, do you think that there could be a lot more of these? Well, and if that's, that's a good question, but unfortunately the answer is going to be a negative one uh, because any, any cause of action is, is subject, uh, cause of action, I apologize, any lawsuit is subject to, to what's called a limitation period. So you only have a certain amount of time to actually start your lawsuit. If you wait too long, too bad, so sad. And the way it is now in Manitoba, uh, certainly when the layoffs or the being put on leaves happen now, other class actions or other actions, uh, if an individual wanted to sit on their own, they're out of time now. Um, so there, there may be ways around that if some kind of dramatic scientific discovery is made saying that, okay, I only knew I could sue about this definitively now, but I think the courts will be reluctant to allow further actions uh, get filed uh, only because of the limitation period issue. And quite frankly, if we were successful and could locate even 50 or 30% of the people who are involved, we're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars. And I'm not saying that to be dramatic at all. This wow. this is a major, major lawsuit, which is why the province, much like the federal government and that other class action, they will throw everything and the kitchen sink at us to try to stop us in our tracks before we get rolling. Well, it just seems that unless people have to pay, you know, for something that they've done wrong, they don't actually pay attention. And, uh, and so I, I wish you every success on behalf of all the Canadians. I want to give you a final word, um, letting us know your website. Is that where people can follow what's happening and help you out if if uh, they'd like to, Cindy? Yeah, so our website is freedomtowork.ca. Um, you can go on there. It, it'll give you backstories. It will give you other news, uh, things happening in the news. Um, we are asking because... Um, this is on a contingency basis in which um, Stefan's fees, um, we, we are asked to pay for the disbursements, things that the, that the law firm is having to put out. And so we are fundraising. And as this whole case goes forward, we will need more and more funds, like Stefan mentioned before, um, bringing in the, the medical experts and things like that. And it's going to get costly. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, I know he said that, um, you know, Anybody that has the same uh, characteristics as I uh, for, for bringing this lawsuit, 
will benefit from it. And on that basis, and I know it's maybe hard to come up with it because you don't know how the fallout's going to be, if this is going to be successful. I think it will be. But um, if you stand to benefit from this class action, um, I think I, I would hope that it would be within the character of these others to also contribute to the costs um, and, and what it's going to take in order to get this thing done. And so if you go to the website, uh, freedomtowork.ca, there's, uh, it'll say on there different ways of, um, you can send a check, there's an address on there you can send it to, you can um, uh, e-transfer, um, that's on there as well. Um, so yeah, we, we do hope that people, and you know, I was thinking, you know, there's, there's businesses even that, um, you know, they were affected by this. Um, you know, they had their restaurants shut down. Or, I mean, they were just struggling. And I would think that even um, businesses would want to contribute so that this does not, uh, we don't go down this path again. Right. I see your, are you out there in Steinbach? Is that where you're uh, based? That's where I am. Yeah. Okay. Love it. You know, we, we followed carefully what uh, that famous uh, freedom fighter, um, Henry Hildebrandt did in standing up, not, you know, refusing to close the churches. And, you know, at the end of it, I mean, so unconstitutional, all of this stuff that was done. I mean, all of it is just a, a mess. And in fact, the National Citizens Inquiry coming up with the commissioner's report really outlines a very uh, a legal basis for all the terrible things that happened. But Steinbeck always reminds me of Henry Hildebrandt. He's just such a firebrand. I think that... Um, yeah, is if there's a is 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 that the final thing that you'd like to say then, and then I'll just get a final word from Stefan. Uh, one final legal question, Cindy. Yeah, I, I think that's it. If if people would just, if you're curious at all, at least go to the website, take a look, and uh, just consider maybe supporting the cause. Yeah. Listen, we support you 100%, and I'm just so grateful that you're courageous enough to go through this process. This isn't easy. You've got to, you know, worry about getting the funds. You've got to get people on board. Uh, you're doing something that kind of sets you apart. You could incur criticism because of it, um, personal attacks even, and you're doing it. And I'm really proud uh, that you're Canadian, Cindy, and that you didn't just roll over and you're doing something about it and you're doing it for other Canadian citizens and it means the world. And I'm, I'm really just thrilled to present what what you're doing and I hope for your success. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And Stefan, before I let you go, then um, uh, as, as you kind of head into this and you're, and you're in your preparations, um, is there anything that, you know, that you want us to know about this? Are, would it be good to have any, I mean, somebody watching right now could have some information that might be helpful, you know, in this journey that you're embarking on? No, for sure. I mean, I, I think that if, if there are viewers watching that, that have information or have uh, uh, even thoughts or connections to people that have knowledge of the scientific community, uh, whatever the case may be, reaching out to, to, to the freedom to work, uh, .ca website uh, and sending a message there I think would be great. Um, and they, they also could email me. I'm pretty easy to find if you just look me up. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, there, there definitely is strength in numbers in the sense that the more there are going towards this goal, I think the better the better chance of success we have. Mm. We have the legal arguments we have to demonstrate, uh, obviously in and of themselves. But but definitely 
strength in numbers is is a is a huge tool for us. So any, any assistance from mm-hmm. you would be appreciated. Well, the the final um, the final thing I just want to present to you, I do have a share up there, JT. And it's just uh, COVID intel by Dr. William Mackis. And this is a Canadian, uh, I think I've already mentioned him, of course, but um, he's a Canadian doctor that is every single day highlighting everything that that the real, um, you know, the real documents of Pfizer, all of the, the data, the testing, the facts, what people are finding around the world. And even like I just saw Tucker Carlson interviewing the Surgeon General of Florida, Dr. Joseph uh, Ladapo. And uh, he is just incredibly uh, full of information. He's, he's an expert, he's a doctor, he's following the science on these vaccines and showing that the, the DNA contamination is now, it's not, um, it's not disputed. But things like this are going to help your cause and doctors that are on the cutting edge like yourself, they have faced the lion, they faced the bear, and now they face this giant and they've got their names on the line, just as you have. Uh, These are people that are going to be most helpful for you. I just thank you and I'm so glad that Cindy found a courageous doctor who we can Google and find out that you have, uh, what did you call it, nefarious? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm, sorry, not, I'm not a, a doctor. I'm a lawyer. Yeah, I'm not a doctor. I'm a <laughs> so lawyer. Good, so good. Sorry. Yes. Uh, but a courageous lawyer, you know, and you've had to defend some others. And, and so you're tough. And I can see that actually. And you have to be in order to do this. So I wish you both every success. And uh, people can go to freedomtowork.ca and check out. In fact, you have all of your statements up there. So people can look at exactly what you're doing. And I have a feeling there might be others that say, listen, this happened to me and they'd like to get in touch with you all. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Thank you for having privilege. You're welcome. Thank you, Cindy. Take care, Stefan. Bye-bye. That is awesome. And you know, over when I think back like to 2020, when we were all confused about what was going on and, And then, you know, the vaccine came out and then people were told what they had to do. And I remember as we made the decision for our family personally, um, that after what we were seeing behind the scenes and those doctors that were um, not being featured on YouTube anymore. So we started following them, you know, over on Rumble or BitChute. And um, when we started to see the actual facts of everything, we just couldn't believe that that there could be the overwhelming amount of evidence that there were some, you know, shortcuts taken in creating this vaccine that left humanity vulnerable, vulnerable to being injured. And we have thousands of them as featured on the National Citizens Inquiry. Um, The people that came on talking about deaths, how it's not just that you couldn't eat at a restaurant, but on the National Citizens Inquiry, let's not forget that they they featured this beautiful woman who actually needed a lung transplant. She was next in line. And I think if she's going to come up here in a second, if you put this on, JT, this beautiful woman was next in line to get a lung transplant. She had done everything and it actually had taken a couple of years to, you know, literally uh, meet every single you know, thing that, that they wanted her to meet. 
and she was denied a lung transplant and has now died because one reason she wouldn't take the vaccine. The vaccine was known to be harmful to people whose immune systems were compromised, to be harmful to people who might have, you know, a, a vulnerability in their bodies. And that wasn't respected. Her, her rights were not respected. And we had her on our show twice, fighting for her life. And in the end, she died. And so I, I'm very thankful to those that are courageous enough in this country uh, to, to be fighting back and to, to not be going with the narrative. A couple things before I go. I'd like to uh, show you this Minister of Health, Mark Holland, commenting on Alberta's new pronoun policy. Take a look. I'm deeply disturbed. Um, the decision that was made by Alberta places kids at risk. Uh, we know that uh, one, of the, one of the number one reasons why kids take their life uh, is, uh, is problems around sexual identity uh, and uh, that the ability to be who you are you know, uh, is so vitally important. And I, I, I thought we were in a place in this country, you know, when we voted on C3 and we, were, we, we, we stood unanimously. Um, I, I thought we were in a place in this country where we were moving past this. Um, it's, I, I, I think it's extremely dangerous to, uh, to engage in this kind of thing, which is, I, I think, playing politics um, when you're talking about children's lives. And uh, so affirming gender, making sure that, uh, that, that kids and families have the health care that they need on extremely sensitive issues is so very important. So what are we going to do? Uh, you know, I, uh, I've got to, I'm going to be in Alberta very soon. I'm going to be meeting with Adriana Lagrange. Uh, I've, I've had uh, a very strong working relationship with her. Um, I want to talk through these issues. I want to see us if, if we can find a solution through talking um, to really understand what this is going to mean and the, and the devastation that it's going to bring. Um, so that we can find an off-ramp. Uh, so, in you know, I, that's my first priority is to try through communicating. And as I say, I'll be in Alberta very soon to have that face-to-face -face meeting. Okay, understand as well that this is the fellow who is uh, very for MAID, M-A-I-D, being brought in and, you know, uh, young younger kids, younger people being allowed to do this. Apparently this guy, you know, he's not for parental rights, um, this is a very, this is a very interesting, uh, fight that has come to Alberta, British Columbia. Couldn't happen to a, you know, a better premiere with Danielle Smith, um, you know, standing up for parental rights. Now I know that she has her hands full and I want, I, you know, I'm very grateful to her because not everyone has been able to, to fight like her. Um, not everyone has been as vocal as her. I appreciate also Scott Moe in Manitoba defending parental rights. Oh, in Saskatchewan, sorry. In Saskatchewan, defending parental rights. So these are two provinces side by side that, you know, maybe they can get some strength together and they can make, maybe make, you know, take initiatives together. But it, it is disturbing that... At the same time that they're honoring parental rights and they're saying we cannot harm children, how does a young person at the age of 14 decide whether they'd like to be sterile and what it means that they can never have children and what gender-affirming surgery really means to the, the ravishes, 
that it takes on your body, you know, ravages maybe uh, on your body. How is a young person supposed to understand that? And that is at the core of the excellent argument that Danielle Smith presents to the news that is haranguing her day and night. She has a lot of opposition. Um, but at the same time, she wants to make it easier for those that are 18 or older to get these operations. And people get operations 18 or older and still have deep regrets. I mean, I don't know. Is 18 the age when you're smart enough to know what life is all about? Like everyone, stop for a minute. Think about who you were at 18. I shudder, <laughs> right? You don't know which way's up. You're so, you're insecure. You're dealing with social ramifications. You're, you know, trying to sort out what you want to do for the rest of your life. Uh, you don't know quite who you are. Uh, you're concerned about the relationships you're having, who your boyfriend, who your girlfriend is. Um, all, all kinds of drama is happening at 18. You don't know which way is up. Nothing that I thought at 18 do I pretty much believe now, you know? And, and so 18, that's when we're going to make it easy. We're going to bring in the doctors. These doctors that can be brought into Alberta, I dare say, will be the undoing of Premier Daniel Smith. They will fight her. They will publicly speak against you. They will not be on your side. I'm not sure why you would invite them into your province. They will be the hellions that you never want to have around you. I, I'm, I'm shocked that, and I don't know where it's coming from. Like, I don't know, you know, we don't know the pressure she's under. We don't know the assaults that she's taking, the hits, the threats, the bribes. I'm not say, saying she's taking bribes, but she's probably been offered a few, just like, you know, different ones in Alberta have been offered bribes in order to shut up. Well, here she is, standing stronger than anyone we've seen with a public position in Canada and inviting doctors who get paid huge amounts of money the more surgeries they do, the more they push this, it's better for them. The more meds, the more, you know, cross-sex hormone therapies that they offer, that's money in everybody's pocket. This is a huge money-making machine. Let's not kid ourselves. This is everything about what this is about. What was it, JT, that uh, someone came on this show and explained that when it was allowed to be considered, uh, it was removed from the DM or, or from the book? It was allowed into the DSM so that it could be make money. It could be diagnosed. And now you can charge for medication and the surgeries. And now it became a money-making machine. That's when skyrocket. Everything goes up. And of course, there's that crazy, you know, doctor, that one doctor, Dr. Wong, that everyone had to see if their child was, uh, you know, going through any gender concerns. They would be filed into Dr. Wong's office and Dr. Wong would file them into beginning their, their you know, meds. And... Everyone gets a kickback on all of that stuff. So that's what this is actually about. Not to mention the fact that they're not the nicest group. So they're not thinking about harms and they don't care. So now 
She's literally saying, we're looking, I saw her on the news conference the other day on the weekend. And she said, we're looking for, you know, the doctors that will come here to Alberta. Stop looking, Danielle. Don't look for doctors to come to, to impose and push their agenda. They're not for you. They're against you. They're going to harm you. Mark my words. Mark my words. These same people that you are compromising your uh, convictions for will be the undoing. Uh, and I hope that she wakes up. Somebody send her this. Share, share, share. Share this video, please. Um, so, ah, last week, the U.S. Senate held hearings with the CEOs of social media tech giants. And uh, here is Senator Josh Howley of Missouri forcing Mark Zuckerberg. I know many of you have probably seen it, but it's so glorious. We just have to watch it again, don't we? So forcing Zuckerberg to apologize on national TV. Take a look. 37% of teenage girls between 13 and 15 were exposed to unwanted nudity in a week on Instagram. You knew about it. Who did you fire? Senator, this is why we're building all Who these did you fire? Tools. Senator, that's, I don't think that that's... Who did you fire? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to answer that. Because um, <laughs> you this didn't is... fire anybody, right? You didn't take Senator, any significant I, I don't action. Think it's appropriate to talk about it, it, like individual it's not appropriate. decisions. In, in Do you know who's like sitting that. behind you? You've got families from across the nation whose children are either severely harmed or gone, and you don't think it's appropriate to take a, talk about steps that you took? The fact that you didn't fire a single person? To, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Have you compensated any of the victims? Sorry? Have you compensated any of the victims? I, These I, girls, have you compensated them? I don't believe so. You, why not? <laughs> don't you think they deserve some compensation for what your platform has done? Help Senator, with counseling services, help with dealing with the issues that your, your services cause? Our, our job is to make sure that we build tools to help keep people safe. Are you going to compensate them? Senator, our job and what we take seriously is making sure that we build industry-leading tools to find harmful to content, make money. to take it off the services, uh, to make money. and to build tools that empower parents. So you didn't take any them. action. You didn't that's take any true, action. Senator. You didn't fire anybody. You haven't that's compensated a single not, victim. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. There's families of victims here today. Have you apologized to the victims? I, Would I, you like to do so now? Well, they're here. You're on national television. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? And this is why we invested so much and are going to continue doing industry big efforts to, uh, to make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your families have had to suffer. All right, well, I really enjoyed that. Um, good for them giving him all holy hell and scaring him. Does, does he look like he has fear on his face? Because he should. Do you know what I don't understand is if China can keep pornography and TikTok and things like that ha has to be in a certain clean light in, in China, why can't we keep our kids safe in Canada and the United States of America? Why can't we have pornography eradicated off the internet. And, and why aren't people advocating for that? Is it because perhaps they are uh, slaves to pornography? Might that be it? And money? 
Oh, it's a big money-making thing, right? So all of this greed, corruption, perversion, and sickness is, al- is allowed to go. And, th- and they'll tell you, oh, no, we can't take it off. But you know what? They'll be able to take me off anytime they want. They'll be able to shadow ban me. You can't find my- certain programs I do anywhere on YouTube. Thank God for Rumble for now. Uh, the government is trying to silence me as a broadcaster. They want to put all sort of, you know, hoops and steps that we're going to have to take in order to keep doing what we're doing. Like as easily as I can do this every single day, which it takes an awful lot to do this every single day. But if I want to keep doing this, our government is definitely trying to take steps to stop us. And they could. How did they get, you know, truckers' bank accounts uh, frozen? Apparently, when when the left wants to stop somebody that they don't like and they don't agree with, wants to stop them from doing anything, apparently they're able to do it. They're even able to keep four guys in jail as political prisoners for over 700 days in Alberta, the Coots Four. They're able to, you know, use the justice system to, you know, take a guy off to jail who ran over a pylon for 10 months. He's in there, James. So... Why can't they control the internet? What am I missing? Like really, what am I missing? Why can't the government of Canada make sure that there is no obscenity and nudity and sick crap on the internet for children to just see so easily? It'll upset their core demographic voting group. Because what, they're all pornographers? Because the sick secret about all of this is they're all into it. And they don't want it coming down. They don't want to clean up the perversion because they're involved in it. And they're doing it. And therefore, they are blinded to the fact that they are not protecting our kids. It's disgusting. It's sick. And God is watching. And you know, the word says that it is better for you that a millstone be tied around your neck and you be thrown in the ocean than harming kids. And this is harming kids. And I I loved seeing Zuckerberg have to kind of, like he does look scared. JT, am I wrong? He has a look on his face. There's there's not a a note of arrogance about him. There's a note of, I'm, I'm scared about what you're asking and saying to me right now because couldn't they take down Facebook somehow. They could remove their section 230 protections. Remove their section 230 protections from being sued as publishers, yes. They have an indemnity right. They have indemnity. Why should they have indemnity? Why why is that? Why do these organizations have indemnity? They said they needed it. They needed it. If they're not controlling what's on their platforms. Right. If they're not controlling what's on their platforms, now they're going to have to be accountable for what they're doing. And this is a beautiful thing. I love what the States is doing. Like, why are, where's the people in Canada fighting? You know, like, I just, there's something about seeing the senators go off on these. Like, why don't we do this in Canada? Why are we not having inquiries in Canada with Zuckerberg? Or any of these organizations, you know, that are affecting kids with TikTok. TikTok, this is a problem. And China is watching everything that we do and gaining lots of insight into our kids and into our world 
through TikTok. I, I just, you know, why doesn't, why is someone not more motivated to protect our country in this regard? So here we have an e-bike on fire in Whistler, British Columbia. Um, the environmentally friendly, you know, electric bike is now burning <laughs> in the snow. <laughs> I mean, everyone walks by. Okay, what is that? Oh, it's an electric, an electric bike that <laughs> that just got on fire. <gasps> so. Not exactly environmentally friendly. Do you see all that smoke right there? All right, that is air care worthy now. All right, so um, what about this? Uh, discarded wind turbine blades that are laying in a field in Australia. You know all these wind turbines that they want? Take a look. I'm coming through here because I've been told that there are old turbine blades that have been just dumped here. Here they are. This is renewable energy, by the way. Remember that word renewable? There's, there's, there's nothing much renewable about these things. They, they, these are old turbine blades, quite short ones actually. I mean, they look big, but they're some of the early 20 meters, I think. And um, now they've worn out. You can see, you look at the quality of it. There's not much life left in that. Can you recycle it? <laughs> Good luck. Great beached whales sitting here, these massive, they're not that massive compared to the ones we've seen in action today. So when they run out, of course, what are we going to do with those? Same, same deal, right? <laughs> Just sit here. This tells a story. Though $1.4 billion for the Chilumban wind farm and in 15 years, they'll just be sitting here like this. <laughs> I mean, does that look environmentally friendly to you? Oh, that really worked. You know, and I love how they're sending up all these, uh, setting up these wind uh, turbines and then, you know, there's not enough wind somewhere. Didn't somebody do a study or something, you too know? Too much wind will destroy them as well. Oh, too much wind will also destroy them. And the whole thing, the whole electric car thing, I think that Albertans uh, were warned by Premier Daniel Smith that you better, if you want a gas guzzling vehicle, you better get it now because they literally in Canada are aiming to take these off. Now, is that all going to change when um, Pierre Polyev comes in? Because he still wants to meet targets, right? Pierre Polyev still wants to meet those targets. So um, we're going to have a, we're going to have, I, or we may have already shown that uh, Alex clip of um, him talking about Pierre Polyev, well, the, the CPC government, I mean, still going off about the, the whole climate thing. And, and also, um, you know, the targets for those that immigration, for those that come into our country. Um, I mean, we, we've just got a real problem. We can't even afford what's going on with our country right now. When do we put Canada first? You know, when do we make Canada great again? Because I feel like we've lost a part of it. How do we, how do we take back what's happened? It's almost like Pandora's box has been opened and there's no way to put all the toothpaste back into the toothpaste tube, right? It's let out and it's everywhere. And we don't, there's no way to clean up what's happened. And how do we move forward to protect the Canada we love and to take care 
of the Canadians that are here. I mean, this is a, a, a massive situation we have going on, and it just seems like we've got just clowns operating um, as leaders in our country, and it's making us all up unsafe. Well, I did, I did take some sort of joy, because you know they're going after Trump. Apparently there's been another assassination attempt that uh, certain folks down in the States know about, and it's been foiled against him. They're, they want to kill him. We had Martin Armstrong on here, and he said, basically, they want to kill Trump. And they want to bankrupt him or go after his kids, ad nauseum, all kinds of stupid, frivolous lawsuits full of liars and deceivers. And they want to take him out because they just, a guy like Trump going in and this time truly cleaning up the swamp that he missed last time because he did not know how deep that was. He didn't. And I think he does now. So there's uh, some people that have been trying to get him in trouble. And one guy leaked his tax returns. And this is what's happening to him. Judge Anna Reyes called Little John's crime the biggest heist in IRS history and said he deserved the maximum sentence she could impose, in part because he targeted a sitting president and thousands of others. The judge compared Little John to January 6th rioters, saying that he took the law into his own hands because he was convinced of his own righteousness. She called what he did an attack on our constitutional democracy. Now, the Justice Department said that Little John went to great lengths to cover his tracks as he queried IRS databases and downloaded that confidential material, though prosecutors did not explain exactly how he was caught. For his part, Little John explained himself by saying that he felt taxpayers deserved to know how easy it was for the wealthy to avoid paying. He said he fully expected to be caught and he did apologize to the court, but he also made clear he believes he did something that he believes was in the public interest, Sinclair. Little John, Little John's in a little bit of trouble, five years in jail that he has been uh, sent to. And, you know, from what I heard, they got the uh, they got the tax returns and they went, oh, you know, we want to get Trump in all this trouble. They got the tax returns and uh, they went, oh, Trump paid taxes. So he always has, you know, there hasn't been anything that's come against Trump that uh, has been able to stick. So my website is lauralyn.tv. If you love this uh Fun that we have every day. Thank you so much for your support. If you ever can't find me on one of the regular platforms that you like to find me, and I'm not there one day, uh, just remember this, lauralyn.tv. I'm on your little screen there, .tv. Uh, remember that, lauralyn.tv. Go to the website and uh, check out all the latest programs that we have, all of the latest truth that we're telling, everything that we think that you should know that others are not talking about it, we will bring it to you. and. Trust me when I say the most important things you need to know right now, you will not hear on legacy media. The most important things that you need to know right now, you're going to hear here. And um, JT and I have taken this on literally as, as a calling from God. We do not take it lightly. We know that you're listening. We know that you're there. And we appreciate that the platforms are growing. Um, we, we are dedicated and committed to bringing you the truth. So when you go onto the website and there's a little donate button there, if you appreciate what we do, if you can support us in any way, large or small, it is so incredible. Thank you to those. Some of you have really made it a point to, to not only support us financially, but in prayer and saying kind words of encouragement. And that means so much. One of the ways that you can donate to us as well is through um, 
e-transfer, Live at protonmail.com, and also through snail mail, box 48184. And you know what, JT, we need to add Queensboro to that. Um, I meant to tell you this, uh, not right while we were on the show, but there's been a couple of times lately where people are saying that they're getting their packages back um, because, and they're sending it to this address. So box 48184, add Queensboro. Yes, I know, but it's in that little area. And I, I remember somebody saying, you know, well, you could add Queensboro to it, but it's still getting to us. V3MOA7. Um, and that's, that's ways that you can support us. It, it really helps us. Like, there's no other way for us to do this. We have made this our life calling, our ministry, our career. Uh, me and JT, uh, our son, um, uh, volunteers and others that support this work that we, you know, um, give them. Uh, a little bit to help them as well. We spread the spread the um, you know the joy around a little so that we can all have enough to make this great to to be giving you the information that you need, the important stuff. And our dogs are even involved once in a while. You can hear those in the background. So thank you. It it is just so so very very important. I thank you for it from the bottom of my heart. I want to read to you today. Um, from Ephesians 4, <laughs> verse 1, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. He came for one reason, that we would be free. And so when he's instructing us to, to show that kindness and that humility and love to one another, it's because he demonstrated it in the most powerful way. I Can I just make an admission to you? I do not find it easy to love everybody. Because I have this thing inside of me, it's more of like a, you know, <clears throat> a prophetic leaning in seeing what is right and what is wrong, I can tend to see things very black and white. I'm also good at finding gray areas when I like them, you know, if they suit me. Are you like that? But I do see evil and good very, you know, very specifically. And sometimes when we're so focused on exposing, exposing, and many of us, you know, trying to help our loved ones and, and our friends to see the light. Uh, there can be a spirit of judgmentalness, but I think that what we're going to see in this next couple of years is a reuniting of common sense and a reuniting of seeing the truth. I think we're going to see that. And I pray that we begin to do things. Is there some, some steps you can take to bring reparations to some of the damages in the relationships that took place 
because of the severity of the crisis that we were involved in, where it caused our emotions to be very high. Is there a way, because for me personally, I'm, I'm looking at how I can find ways to bridge the gap to those where I've lost relationship. And I want to bring that back. I want to find a way that we can, we can all be in the unity of love. This is called, you know, calling, calling you basically back to a unity where you have one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all. Now, I'm not sure how we have that when people have differing gods, differing beliefs and ideologies. In as much, in as much as you are able to live at peace with your fellow man, do so. I'm going to try my best to bring a repairing spirit to do things and, and have actions in my life that will help those that have, where there's been an estrangement, maybe it's a dinner, maybe it's a coffee date, maybe it's a quick call or a text saying, thinking of you, I miss you, something like that. Let's do that. God bless, we'll see you again soon. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing, but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.